Welcome to the Oncology Soundbite, a podcast produced by the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance designed to offer bite-sized, audible oncology education from one of the top cancer treatment centers in the nation. Medical professionals can tune in to learn from SCCA's nationally renowned team of experts representing Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, UW Medicine, and Seattle Children's. We hope you'll listen and learn while we share disease-specific advancements with the collective goal of improving cancer care and patient outcomes, both regionally and beyond. I'm your host, Amy Martin, a senior physician liaison at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. For our debut episode, we will focus on a topic we're all too familiar with, COVID-19. The pandemic has significantly impacted every aspect of our everyday life, even more so in the healthcare field. In this interview, we will uncover lessons learned when it comes to caring for the most vulnerable amidst the coronavirus crisis, which first reached the U.S. right here in the Seattle area. To help us further discuss this topic, I'd like to introduce Dr. Stephen Pergam, SCCA's Medical Director of Infection Prevention, and Dr. Catherine Liu, who serves as SCCA's Associate Medical Director of Infection Prevention. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I wanted to start by asking you both to explain your roles and professional background a bit more and how you've been able to work as a team in response to this pandemic. So I think one thing that's really important, these designations of director and associate director are sort of artificial in some ways. I think Dr. Liu and I work very closely as a unified team with the infection prevention group to really organize and strategize around trying to do everything we can to protect our patients from developing COVID-19, and if they do, um, to protect staff um, from acquiring it. It's really our goal is to, to prevent transmission happening in the clinic and, as well, really trying to focus on maintaining the ability to, to continue to treat patients um, for their cancer. The goal is to continue care, um, to treat patients as needed for underlying cancer, and uh, and to protect them as best as possible when they arrive on campus. It's a team effort. It's not just infection prevention. It's, it's really everyone at the center that plays important roles. You know, I think that one of the bright moments, um, if you will, of this pandemic is that we have really learned how resilient and adaptable we've been able to be as a system in our ability to continue to provide oncology care. Um, I think, as Steve mentioned, this has really been true uh, in multidisciplinary team effort with infection prevention, our oncologists, environmental uh, care, um, and so many others that have really um, worked very closely together to ensure the safety of our patients as well as our healthcare workers. Um, we've been able to rapidly establish systems to, again, continue to ensure the safety of our patients and caregivers as well as our healthcare workers during these unprecedented times while continuing to deliver effective and compassionate care for our cancer patients. And I do think that many of the systems that we have put in place as part of our response to this pandemic will enhance the way that we practice cancer care in the future. One example of this, I think, is telehealth. Um, this was really deployed as a way to minimize exposures in the clinic and provide medical care while adhering to the principles of physical distancing. And I think that the lessons that we have learned by implementing telemedicine during this pandemic will better equip cancer centers to provide care to patients um, in the future, um, particularly those who live far away, um, to enable us to continue care 
no matter where our patient lives. Additionally, I think we've learned a lot about how to effectively screen and triage our patients with respiratory symptoms. This is an ongoing issue that we um, face every year, particularly with influenza season. And I think we've learned a lot of very valuable tools about pre-screening patients with respiratory symptoms and being able to use some of these same tools um, with future respiratory and influenza seasons to limit exposures and transmission in our cancer center. I think what's been really heartening is that the the process that we've gone through has really put patients first. Um, and what we've really tried to do is when possible to really um, organize systems that are really engaged in, in identifying at-risk patients being able to monitor them closely, um, provide um, early and frequent COVID testing as needed. But we've also really prioritized our own staff to make sure that um, we are testing and identifying people that might potentially have been affected by this um, that work in our systems. I think any multimodal approach like this in a large healthcare system really does require sort of a unified vision. And I think that's been the vision from the beginning is we want to continue to provide um, really compassionate care for patients that need it at the same time as protecting them from what is really something that was an unexpected pandemic and something that I, I'd probably be, you know, one of the, the largest challenges of our lifetimes in um, taking care of patients. So I think it's been a really, it's been heartening to see so many people step up and take on, on these different roles and to help through the process. But I think we've learned a lot and I think we're continuing to learn every day as things change. Seattle has been on the forefront of the COVID-19 outbreak. What are some of the key lessons you've learned in the cancer care space during this unprecedented time? Yeah, I think the, the drive-throughs have been really successful. Um, certainly, um, we saw what others did in other countries. Uh, Korea was a good example where they had developed a drive-through. And we've partnered with our colleagues at uh, University of Washington Medical Center um, so that we could all be on the, uh, a similar process and how that's been done. So these are basically drive-up systems. I actually have done this myself because I think um, probably Dr. Liu has as well, where we've had minor symptoms during this process and we needed to be checked ourselves. So for employees, we drive up to a station that is a, that's been taken over in a garage. We have our own staff come in. Um, they come up to your door wearing appropriate personal protective equipment, ask you a few questions, and you get swabbed. And that is all organized um, through a survey system that you can go into online and quickly fill out, um, talk about your, your symptoms, and then they can call you to arrange a time um, to come in and get testing done. It's been very efficient. Um, it's very uh, streamlined and quick and has been really a, an ideal opportunity for our staff to get tested. The other thing that's been really helpful is having a virology lab that can quickly process samples. We get answers to these swabs fairly, relatively quickly. For the patients, um, it was a little took a little more time, but that's been really successful as well. And we do something similar where patients who have symptoms, we can arrange for an appointment. They can come at a, at a specific time. They can either drive up or walk up and get tested. And um, that testing is done using a, a number of volunteers who work in the clinic who meet them in a, in a separate parking garage um, and get them tested. And that whole process has been super helpful in allowing us to do pre-appointment screening, to um, identify patients in the community who are at risk to test them before they come to clinic, and even to offer um, screening for patients who aren't seen on that, on that regular basis to identify who might potentially be positive. So I think it's been not only a resource for our patients, but it's, it's been a resource for the community to use in some ways 
um, so we can help identify our, who is positive and who isn't and, and get them to the right care and, and to follow them closely for additional symptoms they have. I think the other key benefit of drive-through testing is that it's allowed us to limit potential exposures in the clinic so that rather than bringing sick individuals into the clinic, we have an off-site location where they can be tested safely. So that's been a real advantage of that system as well. How is SCCA managing cancer patients who test positive for COVID-19? We have developed a series of guidelines and protocols for management of patients who have tested positive for COVID-19. I think really the first step is for the oncologists to determine whether the patient's treatment um, should be continued or whether there are aspects of their treatment should be delayed in the context of their positive test result and to consider the risks and benefits of proceeding with or delaying therapy. So decisions are made regarding whether their treatment and visits are essential or or non-essential. For those patients who are deemed to have ongoing requirements for care at the clinic, um, physical Um, a a physical visit at the clinic um, or who require um, essential care such as a blood transfusion, um, we have protocols um, in place so that patients can be seen um, in a safe environment. And this really does involve um, very close coordination of care between our infection prevention teams, the treating teams, and the entire operational unit so that um, patients can be safely escorted um, to the appropriate place to be evaluated. We have and encourage patients to um, wear a mask um, when they come into the clinic and have developed a pathway by which these patients can be escorted separate from other patients in the area up to the the clinic um, location where they are to be seen. We're trying to minimize the number of individuals that need to enter a patient's room at any given time. Um, And for those who do need to evaluate the patient to ensure that appropriate uh, personal protective equipment or PPE is used at all times. As the nation begins the recovery process, what does returning to quote unquote normal look like here at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance? Well, I think uh, a lot of ways it'll be shifts, right? I mean, there is a a complete understanding that there's been challenges in um, the midst and on high level pandemic periods. Things like surgical procedures have been put aside um, for certain individuals when they weren't deemed to be urgent. And so um, I think a lot of that will change and we'll start to see um, a lot more people coming back and working more intently to get a lot of those patients who've been in the wings waiting a bit um, back to care. But I think it's hard to predict the future. You know, I think we don't have a crystal ball. Um, and so there is some concerns with low-level um, infection in our community. The estimates are anywhere from 3 to 5%, maybe even less, in Seattle that might be um, positive if you were to look by um, antibody testing to suggest that they had been infected at some point. That means that there's, there's a lot of people in the community that are still at risk. And so as the community begins to open up, when we begin to bring more patients on campus, I think we're going to have to be super diligent about watching carefully to assure that um, you know infected patients aren't coming onto campus. So one of our jobs and one of the things that we're really dedicated towards is to maintaining high vigilance, um, um, high level testing, and awareness of community patterns so that we can be nimble in how, how we respond. Um, to that. At the same time, we do really want to expand um, the offerings we have for patients. So it's a balance. And I think nobody has the right solution. I think this is a, a lot of the decisions that are being made are based on 
models that are suggesting specific future outcomes. But until we, we actually reach that point, we're actually dealing with it face to face. I think we have to, we have to sort of be prepared for uh, many different scenarios that might be out there. What can healthcare workers do to help protect their patients during this time? There are a number of key strategies that I think are really important as a healthcare worker for you to um, be able to protect your patients, yourself, and others around you. And I think these really go back to the basic principles of infection prevention. First, practice frequent hand hygiene. Um, I, I think the importance of meticulous hand hygiene cannot be overstated as um, really the cornerstone of infection prevention during this pandemic. Second, stay home when you're sick. You know, while I think there's been a lot of discussion, um, you know, recently about the possibilities of asymptomatic or presymptomatic transmission, uh, you know, we, we do know that the primary mode of transmission um, is really through close contact with symptomatic in individuals. So staying home when you are sick um, is really key to protecting your patients. The other key step that I think has really emerged um, in the discussions around this um, pandemic is practicing physical distancing, um, maintaining a six-foot distance from others whenever possible. Um, and at, at our center, we've been encouraging our staff um, to stagger their break times in order to minimize the number of people in a break room at any given time. And, and again, really trying to, to practice uh, physical distancing to limit exposures. And then I think always important to use the appropriate um, personal protective equipment um, when you're managing patients with respiratory symptoms. Um, I think this may vary um, somewhat at each center in terms of the type of masks that are available, um, but, but generally does involve um, use of a, a surgical mask with um, some kind of face shield protection to prevent uh, droplet transmission. The other um, discussion that has emerged in recent weeks based on a, a recent CDC recommendation is regarding this role of um, presymptomatic or asymptomatic transmission, which again, um, while we do know that symptomatic transmission is really the primary mode of transmission, there are emerging data to support that there may be transmission that occurs in the context of um, early or unrecognized symptoms. And so use of a cloth face covering um, when in public settings, particularly when you're unable to maintain a six foot physical distance, may help to prevent you if you do have an asymptomatic or presymptomatic infection from giving it to others. I would also um, comment that one thing that I think all providers can do is to spend time with their patients and review these details. I think one, one thing that all centers should be thinking about is focusing on some patient-forward education. Um, so it's not just protecting yourself and preventing yourself from inf infecting others, but um, really getting into the weeds about the importance that social distancing, hand-washing, and the use of, of masks in public spaces regarding patients and their caregivers, um, those who live in their household. Household transmission is incredibly important, and so educating caregivers and household um, occupants that live with cancer patients is important. And taking time to remind patients about how important these steps are for themselves can help them getting infected in the first place. Um, you can certainly do things yourself to protect um, you and your staff, but I think it's really important that all centers take the time to educate patients about the things that they can do. They're really um, some straightforward steps, and it may not be easy for everyone, but something as simple as saying, you know, let's get you uh, three months of your prescription on hand so that you can 
uh, potentially not have to go to the pharmacy on a regular basis. Small steps that can be really important. So I think there's a lot of things that people can do to protect themselves, um, but to educate your patients and to take the time during these visits to remind them of these important steps, I think is, is really critical. Thank you so much for joining us today, Drs. Liu and Pergum, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in to the Oncology Soundbite. For more information about today's topic and other relevant healthcare provider news from SCCA, please visit our provider blog page, www.seattlecca.org provider blog, and subscribe to our e-newsletter for access to future episodes and clinical updates. You can also find the Oncology Soundbite in your favorite podcast app. Plus, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for listening and take good care.